Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett. My passion for football and pushing boundaries has helped me to create a successful business using the same performance building principles of the world's best players. Through my Move the Ball book, workshops, and consulting work, I've used the same system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize those tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm excited for you to be here with us today. And of course, I'm glad that we have kicked off season three. I was working on quite a few other projects during my podcast off season, and I am definitely jazzed to be back in the swing of things for the show. And I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has written to me over the past few months, letting me know what you think of the show and sharing how you guys are excited for us to be kicking off the season as well. You all are appreciated. As you all know, this podcast is all about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. And a couple of things before we get into the meat of today's episode. If you have not already done so, hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform of choice so that you never miss an episode. And if you find the show interesting, please tell a few friends so that they can check it out and hopefully subscribe too. That is one way that you can help me to move the ball. So for today, I've got an incredibly accomplished guest with us inside the huddle today and ready to share his insights, his experiences, and his perspectives is Pepper Johnson. Just a little about Pepper's background. Pepper is a retired NFL coach and NFL linebacker who played for 13 seasons in the NFL, the first seven of which were with the New York Giants, where he won two Super Bowls. During Pepper's playing career, he also played for the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, and the New York Jets. Post-playing, Pepper started his coaching career with the New England Patriots, where he spent 14 years with the organization, winning three Super Bowls. And Pepper has also coached for other organizations such as the AAF, the XFL, and we will talk about all of that and more in today's show. Pepper, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. I'm glad to be here. Glad you invited me. Well, I'm excited to have you here with us today. I know we've been talking about this for a little bit. As I mentioned in the intro on the show, we talk about business, we talk about branding, and we talk about sports. Before we talk about sports some more, let's talk about your brand, Pepper Johnson. Your real name isn't Pepper, so I want you to start off by sharing with our listeners, how did you get that name? I I have to tell everybody, first and foremost, I was two years old. A lot of people look at me strangely when I tell the story, but I was two years old. I love eating cereal. So I'm eating a bowl of cornflakes, and I've always noticed that they would sprinkle a little sugar on, on my cereal. And um, afterwards, I would sprinkle a little bit more. It was like a ritual. So my aunt fixed me a bowl of cereal, and she turned to walk away. And I was watching her walk away while I was trying to sneak and grab the sugar shaker. I grabbed the pepper shaker. And she saw me sprinkle the pepper on it. And it caught itself trying to teach me a lesson after sprinkling the pepper on on the cereal. But I ate the whole bowl and actually held the bowl up and wanted more. And so... I've been, they've been calling me Pepper ever since, and I tried to make it my middle name and just because so many Thomas Johnson was like 40 Thomas Johnsons in Central Ohio um, at the time when I graduated from Ohio State. So that was a pleasurable moment, I guess, for me. But yeah, so 
got the nickname Pepper. My mother don't even know. Uh, she she can't even answer the question of, of what did she call me before they started calling me Pepper. So Pepper stuck with me. It's interesting how things stick with you. So here's an important question. Do you still put pepper on cornflakes today? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it, it was actually a one-time thing that I know of and that everybody else know of, that it was a one-time thing. But I, I do, but I sprinkle pepper on everything today. Like, it doesn't faze me like most people. Uh, I will sneeze if it, you know, uh, get close to my nose. But other than that, hot, spice, whatever pepper is supposed to do, it doesn't phase me at all. I just, I do it as a ritual. I make sure I sprinkle pepper over my food before I eat. Well, there are quite a few things that taste better with pepper on it. So there's nothing wrong with sprinkling a little pepper on, on the food. There we go. There we go. So you mentioned playing at Ohio State. So let's talk a little bit about your career at Ohio State. You lettered every year that you were there, led the team in tackles in 84 and 85. You were team co-captain and named defensive MVP by your teammates, both in 84 and 85. Tell us what, in your mind, as you look back on your college career, what was it that made you an elite linebacker? I'll say the start. The start of when I went there, I was a defensive, I'm born and raised in Detroit, and I was like the defensive player of the year number one defensive player coming out of the state of Michigan. And to go to Ohio State, where in the stretch lines, like our captains were lined up on the 50-yard line. And so you you lined up accordingly to your depth on the roster. I lined up my first, (laughs) when I first got to camp, in the back of the end zone. I was back with a gold bowl. So guys was on the 40 guys, you know, it was five yards apart from everybody. I was considered the last inside linebacker in that freshman class. But when I was back there, I, I looked up and I was like, sooner or later, I, I, I want to be that guy in front and, and leading the stretches. Before training camp was over, I got a little closer to the front of the line. And by the season, by midseason, I was, I was only two lines back. You know, I was, that was the first guy that was, that was going in as inside, or the second guy that was going in as inside linebacker. I had a, um, a junior in front of me and we, matter of fact, we both started the next year. Oh, no, I took that back. I still didn't start my, my sophomore year. I rotated my sophomore year, but the guy that played over me was a senior. Some games he would play the first quarter or halfway through the first quarter. Some games he would play three plays and would high-five me on my way going into the game. So earning my pelt, I think that's what really helped and motivated me. And, and seeing myself, at, you know, humble, with, you know, going starting off at Ohio State, which was a good thing. Because to me, um, still today, I try to tell some of my high school kids now, if you go to a program and you're starting right off the bat, you might have to question that program because if they're working like a machine, they should have some people already in place. And now if you beat them out in training camp, you beat them out during the season or something like that, then that's a, a whole different beast. But if you come in at day one and they have you starting, that, I don't know if that's saying a lot about uh, the program and how many winning seasons you're going to have, you know. I like that I earned my belts. I like that I earned my my teammates' respect. 
for voting me a captain. I am rare with that in Ohio State history. I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm one of five in um, Ohio State history, but I'm one of three with myself and my son actually being a captain at Ohio State because my son went to Ohio State to play football in 04 and graduated in 08. And we're one of three that father-son combinations that, that was captains at Ohio State in history. Yes. Yeah. I was going to bring that up in the show. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Uh, it's a great accomplishment to have your son also follow in your footsteps at Ohio State for one, but to be named a team captain, I'm sure is quite an honor for you to see him being recognized by his peers as an elite player and, and a great leader. Yes. He, I am Deontay's father now. <laughs> <laughs> well, he used to be my son, but now he's more recognized than I am. So it's just Deontay's father. And I, I walk behind him when we go to places in Columbus or when I'm with him. Oh, that's awesome. So you and I did a speaking event together back in December with the Circle of Stars Academy and their football banquet. Great event. I got to give a shout out to my guy, Eric Anderson, who runs Circle of Stars Academy. So shout out to Eric. But while we were there, you know, I was looking at all of the young men in the room, and they were being recognized for their accomplishments that they had done on the football field this past season. And, you know, these are the future athletes that we're going to see go into college, and some of them might make it into the NFL. And obviously, a lot of the guys you work with get college scholarships, and many of them go play in the NFL. What are the, some of the things that you coach your young men to help prepare them not only for the business of football, but also to be successful in whatever it is that they go and do in life? I I feel like, and I try to preach it to my coaches as well, to enlighten the kids. Not just we're not just coaching high school because they can get that from any other school and coaches. A lot of the coaches there have had experience. Well, they all had we all had experience through college, but actually playing in the NFL as well. To me, we would not be helping the kids, and we would not really be coaching if we didn't share our experiences on how we got there, because it's so rare, you know? So we want to share with the guys, we want to share with our players how to conduct themselves and what to expect moving forward into the next level, which is college and, and what coaches are looking for, what myself is looking for and what everybody, you know, in some, in some cases you have coaches, they, they want the measurements. And that gives guys a high grade, makes them four and five star athletes in high school now. But myself, I, I want that guy that if he doesn't fit our room, then I don't care if he's five star. I don't care what someone has him ranked as. He doesn't make my squad. He doesn't. I, I don't want him in the building because that one guy is not going to make our team better, but you could make us worse by being a cancer. So I don't want to have anyone else distracted. I want to have my guys fully focused. And that that comes with the territory of having so many great kids, you know, just great athletes for them for their ages. And why should one guy stand out because of selfish reasons? So I I would rather have the three-star guy that's taking coaching as opposed to the five-star guy that don't want to take coaching. But, you know, he's already a prima donna. Coaching in the NFL for so long, I've had some of those guys and ran across them 
I was blessed with Coach Belichick that we didn't allow a lot of those guys in in the room, in the building with the Patriots. So I kind of got spoiled. <laughs> uh, and I know we didn't have that. You know, we would have wring his neck if, you know, back in the day with the Giants, just the, the, the peers ourselves. Yeah, when I ventured out to other, other teams, you had some guys that they was pampered in high school, they was pampered in, in college, and now they come into the league with a pocket full of money and think that, you know, they don't need coaching. You, you're just here for a front. I was the wrong guy. <laughs> I was the wrong guy to be talked to like that or, or treated in that aspect. But I, I could say for the most part, my, my 17 years coaching in the league, I got a lot of respect. I got a lot of respect from some guys that wasn't giving respect to other coaches before me. But I, I think, again, when I, when I ventured off, guys start to Google me <laughs> and find out about my career. And, and was I a good ball player? Was I or is not just this guy that was talking mess? And I think they um, they learned a little more and learned some things about me that drew respect from them and, and, and made relationships great. I tell people all the time, my phone is filled with not just 40, 45 plus um, teammates that I had at Ohio State, but a good 30, 35 guys, I think, teammates that I had with the Giants and more so some of the ex-players that I coached because I keep in contact with a lot of those guys and even more so those guys call me and check on me. That's a great feeling. That's a great feeling. I mean, I, I did something right. Absolutely. So as you look at how football has changed over the years, not only the sport itself, but also just the business. Now we have this thing called social media that's been around for a while that wasn't there a decade, two decades ago, not how it's used today. How do you coach your young athletes to be mindful of their brand? Because they all have a brand now in high school too, right? And, And in college, what kind of things are you telling them to be mindful of? to pay attention to so that they can continue to get those college scholarships and not do anything that might hamper their chances of getting great opportunities to play in college and also in the league. We try to take the, the Ivy League approach that your brand um, right now, up to this point, has already started. In the Ivy League, they don't just look at your high school grades and go off of that. They're checking your junior high school. They're looking at elementary and everything and, and, and judging on if you are Ivy League student or not. So I, I try to tell the guys, I can't and you can't do anything about what you have done in your past. But from this point on, you want to make sure that everyone understand, hey, I was a kid that's growing up to be a young man and eventually a grown man that's handling his own responsibilities and I'm going to grow with that. And I'm, I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to, to listen and correct some of the wrongs that I did. I'm not too stubborn. I'm not too big to say or admit to be, you know, humbled and say that I was wrong. And a lot of, I've really been blessed for a couple of years that my players really respect me and they listen to me in that aspect. Those guys, I've had guys come before class. I've had guys come after class to, just to stop by and, and collect a little wisdom. I've been known by many people as a listener to this that knows me that I, I talk a lot. I like to, 
run my yap, like Vince Wilfork would say. I, I like to share. I feel like when I was in high school, I didn't have anyone sharing a lot of stuff with me. I had a, a defensive coordinator that left after my junior year that really stripped me because he was he was feeding me with the history of football and was telling me how football was evolving. So I like to tell I like to tell my guys like when I was coaching the defensive line how the stances changed, how defense alignment was was like offense alignment back in the day that they actually was blocking the offensive line. Like it was the offensive line was blocking defensive line just so that the linebackers can make the tackles. And then someone came about and allowed the defensive lineman to use their hands. And any defensive lineman that doesn't use his hands is not good for me. I, I don't care who the guy is. He don't know how to use his hands. He's not good with his hands. He's going to have problems. But anyway, just moving forward, I, I, I like to share that with him because to me, it helps the guy that want to know how to be better. It helps him get better. It makes that guy work harder in practice on placing his hands. And when he see he has success doing the things that, you know, you ask him to do and you feel that's right, those guys get better. So let's talk about when you were in the league. I mentioned when I read your bio that uh, you won two Super Bowls as a player with the Giants. You were under Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick. What was it like playing for those two guys? And what in your mind made them great leaders and great coaches? Starting with Parcells first, Parcells have a way of singling everybody out. And and this is how I, I, I pattern myself coaching now from how those guys coached me. They didn't treat me like Harry Carson or Gary Reasons, you know, some of the guys that was before me. They said, hey, Pepper is Pepper, and we're going to coach Pepper to his strengths and tell him about his, his weaknesses. And Parcells did not have any shame about it. Now, Belichick was, you get the screech in his voice, and or he would, he would just not talk to you. And if he wasn't talking to you, then you knew you had some problems, you know. But Parcells, well, he was he was that guy that he would pull you over to a side. And if he said, son, uh, you knew something bad was coming after that. Son, you can't do this. Oh, son, man, it, you know, and really what we tried to do is just stay off that off their radar. You wasn't going to get a pat on the back. LT was the only one who got a pat on the back from, by Parcells, and we knew that. Belichick, he'd give you a, a mini hug and, and a smile every now and then. The, the, the bigger the game, then you might just get – and that, that smile was really for the whole entire season. You would get your compliments in, in the meeting, you know, and it was, it was real low and it was quick and it was fast, and he was moving on. You understood it. Those guys, I think – not only did they teach, but they learned from us. I tell people all the time, Belichick's playbook it has a lot of my blood and a lot of my sweat in it because some of the things I know he, he tells the linebackers today was things that we did when we were, you know, when we were playing. Some of the things it's, it's him and it's old school and he already know, but some of the little, the little finer points of how to get to the ball and what you should do and what you should expect and how to set up a blocker, da 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 and, and the pass drop and this, that, and the other. I bet the house that, you know, that he might, 
he might not admit it on on TV, but he admitted, you know, one on one that you know he learned a lot from his players as opposed to giving a lot of information. And that's what having you know top of the league right now. Sure. And so let's talk about Super Bowl twenty one first off. It was played at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, January twenty fifth, nineteen eighty seven. What was it like for you and the team? So first, training for the Super Bowl. Do you prepare any different for Super Bowl than any other game? And then what was it like actually winning, winning the game you guys beat out the Broncos 39 to 20? Jen, I have to start off with this. They diagnosed me with a concussion at the end of the game because, and don't look sad, it's really, it's, it's really a funny story. Majority of my stories are, are good. Evidently, I was so excited about the game and to be playing in it because that's my it was my rookie year that I didn't physically get a concussion. I got a concussion because of just so amped for the football game that I don't remember like the second quarter of the ball game. I remember coming out of the start of the game, da 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 da, and I was playing. And I came over to the sideline. I was talking to another player. And he said he was checking me. I, I knew all my assignments. I knew my defense or whatever. You know, fast forwarding, when I watched the tapes, I'm making tackles, but nothing where I, you know, I hit my head or anything like that. I'm, I'm making tackles, making plays. I'm in my right spot. I'm covering the right guy, but I don't remember it. I don't. I can't sit up here and honestly tell you that I remember George Martin getting the safety, the sack for the safety. I don't know where I was standing at on the sideline. I know I was out there field, but I don't know where I was standing at on the sideline or what I was doing. So with that being said, I jumped on that train that was very, very powerful. But at the same token, this was one, another one of Parcells and the, the, the things that he liked to do. He got all of the our, my freshman cl- our rookie class together at the beginning of the year and said, hey, we did this in the playoffs last year. And this is a team that's, that's destined, that's going places. We don't need any of y'all. That's what he told us. We don't need any of us. <laughs> he, his first, what, six or seven draft picks was defensive players. He said he didn't need any of us. And if we can't carry our own weight, we won't be there. You made it through training. This was after training camp. You made it through training camp and all that good stuff. but. Now the bullets are really flying and you have to carry your weight in some. And we all looked around and no one thought he was BSing. And that's what we did. And and Belichick told me this, which I I love and it's a philosophy of mine still today. If I continue to, to play well on special teams and the show team, I continue to to play well on the show team, give our offense a good look, that they will play me more in the games as the season goes on, right? In that Super Bowl, going back to Super Bowl 21, I played more plays than Gary Reese, than the guy that started over. And not just those end of the, end of the game plays when Harry was on the sideline pouring Gatorade on, on Parcells. But no, I, play, I played more plays because I earned them. And he did not lie to me, so I, I felt good about that guy, he was my guy then, you know. I, I felt real good about Coach Belichick and his coaching schemes. He could tell me anything, and I was uh, I was going to believe it. 
And your career met up with Coach Belichick in many different ways after the Giants. Uh, you guys were together with the Browns. And then even when you were done playing in the NFL, you started a coaching career with the Patriots and you know linked back up with Coach Belichick again, where you won three more Super Bowls, being uh, you guys ended up winning three Super Bowls in four years, I believe. Yes. Great accomplishment there. What was it like being a coach winning a Super Bowl versus being a player? Ten of my 13 years was I was with Belichick in some form or fashion. 14 of my 17 years coaching, I was with Belichick in some form or fashion. So I, I guess you can kind of say we, we know each other. <laughs> but I was, it's, it's, it's great that you asked me that. After the Super Bowl, my uh, first Super Bowl with the, uh, with the Patriots, beating the Rams, I could not answer that question. I could not answer that question. I didn't know what was the difference. Until my son and, and my nephew, they came out to the game to New Orleans and, and watched the game and watched us win. And the very same week, he, he flew back home. He was wrestling for the city championship in Columbus, Ohio. I, I flew to Columbus after the parade and, and saw him win the city championship wrestling. And when I saw him win the city championship wrestling, then I can answer your question. Now, the fellas get on me about it because I reference them as my kids, you know, just like my son. But really, that was the feeling. When I saw my son, you know, get his hand raised that he was uh, the city chap, that's the feeling that I had when Vrabel and Brewski and Willie McGinnis, they're running up and down the field. That was the feeling that I had when I was watching those guys, just so excited and I was standing still. That that captured the whole the whole feeling because they they won. I I helped assist. I didn't help my son do anything wrestling wise, but just tell him I I understood and that I used to wrestle with my friends, but that was the extent. So as you look back on your coaching career, what would you say to coach in the NFL? What if you were to pick the top three things that make somebody an elite coach? What would those three things be? I would say coaching your guys individually, that, you know, just knowing who you're coaching. It was one of the things that I that I loved and I I noticed what we did, I just was talking about with the Giants, where I think the first seven guys picked in the 86 draft, we all was defensive players. And going in New England, we draft Richard Seymour in 01, we win the Super Bowl. We drafted a defensive lineman, but we got Jarvis in 02. And uh, we kind of stumbled a little bit. We draft Ty Warren in the first round in 03, and we go back to the Super Bowl. We draft Vince Wilford in the first round, and we went back-to-back Super Bowls. I was like, can we just keep drafting defense alignment in the first round? Belichick was like, hey, we wish it was just that easy. I was like, man, I well... Let's just keep doing it and, and until we find out that, you know, it doesn't work. But we didn't, we didn't draft another guy in the five. But anyway, having those guys in the room, everyone learned differently. And Vince being the guy that he wanted to know what he was. I know it was gone, but he wanted to know what the guys in the secondary was doing. What was their responsibilities and, and why? He knew about, you know, what was going on on the defensive line. He knew 
you know, try to explain to these guys, hey, X amount of people over here. They don't have enough people over here for our defense. So either they running over here and staying over here or they running this way and cutting back over here. All that stuff was was easy for him to uh, to take in. Richard Seymour was he, well, he was the best. He was the best because you can talk to Richard to the cows come home, and none of that made any difference to him. Show him a picture of where he was at, and there we go. You didn't have to draw it up left and right. You didn't have to to show him a picture. Show him where you're going, show him that arrow, go here, go here, wherever, da 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 And he'll put two and two together, and that's all, all she wrote. Everybody else, I mean, you know, guys had, uh, Ty was this way. Ty wanted to know why, and, you know, it was, it was good in that aspect. Jarvis really wanted to know about his opponents, and that was, that was you know, that was Jarvis. He, he wanted to know how can I beat that guy. They know that I dealt with everybody individually. I told them the, the scheme, but I dealt with everybody individually, and I coached the guys um, differently that way. That's what, to me, what worked for me as a player. What I said was, you know, Coach Belichick, Coach Parcells did for me. So that's what I went on and did, and I still have relationships with all those guys today. So on the show, we've talked a little bit about business and branding, and, you know, I get a number of current football coaches reaching out to me wanting for help with their branding and strategies to advance their career in football, in the coaching space. Specifically, I don't get a lot of NFL coaches reaching out, but more uh, XFL, CFL, college football, high school football. In your experience, what advice would you give to coaches who are looking to move the ball and continue to advance their college coaching career or just their football coaching career, I should say? I I have mixed emotions with, with that one. I would say join one of these agents because the agents, it's not, it's not really what you know and who you know. It's who, who knows you and who's willing to stand on the table for you. The agents pretty have a good run of the league coaching, period. Now, whether it's college, whether it's, it's pro, they, I don't know if they really have their hands in as much in those other leagues. But I know the pro game, and it's like four different agencies, and those guys really have it, the market covered. And you have some good coaches that, that's out in college that's, you know, have some things to offer. But for the most part, you you got you have to really get in with a with a good agent and someone that that has a general manager and a head coach that's not in the league. It's not hard to look up. Sure. Yeah, that's that's a great advice. So what I want to do now is take you through my two-minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, we're gonna find out. <laughs> All right. First question is when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A baseball player. Okay. Baseball was that that was that sport for me. That was your sport. All right. How about what three words would you use to describe yourself? Very, very stubborn. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I'm a jovial person. I don't I don't know. I got I have a I have a lot about me. Don't poke the bear, you know, too much. You, you don't know if I'm gonna use my paw or use my jaws. <laughs> but um that one that one's tough for me. I don't I don't know if I have three words. 
Okay, well, we'll go with very, very stubborn. That's three words. <laughs> All right, next question is, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? What most people don't know about it, that I'm easy to get along with. I get compliments a lot of times by by friends and, and some people that don't know me that they thought, it, you know, it was either nervous when they when they originally met me and eventually they, hey, man, he's a, he's a humble guy. Like, I don't, I don't, I would tell someone, my, uh, my name is Thomas before I would tell them I'm Pepper Johnson if I think they know who Pepper Johnson is, just so that I can slide through the, the door and just be treated the same as everybody else. Okay. If you had one intro song played at all of your public appearances, what would that song be? That's another another tough one. My intro song, We Would Rock You. <laughs> uh, the fellas is really going to like that one. <laughs> <laughs> we will, we will rock you. I think I would, I would go. No, you know what? Oh, no, no I'm forgetting his name, but... Um, the, the beautiful people, the beautiful people, the don't, don't, the beautiful people, beautiful people. Golly, you're gonna make me scream at my wife just to to get his name. But I, I, that is my house cleaning song. Okay. I, I, that's my house cleaning song. You know, I have a lot of R and B, a lot of old school rap songs, and then next, you know, it's freaking. The beautiful people. I, I, <laughs> Alrighty. How about what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Come on, move the ball. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that very, move very the much. Ball. Yes. I'm sorry. I, I didn't, I wanted to, by this time, do the interview that I would have read all the book. I'm running here, I'm running there, and I get on the plane and I call myself, I'm going to read on the plane. And first thing I do, it goes to. That's okay. You're busy. You're busy. Well, I appreciate uh, you wanting to read through it. Next question is, you are hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? I would invite Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I would invite Muhammad Ali. And I would, this one is, is, is kind of tough for me because I have Obama. I have Malcolm and I have Dr. Martin Luther King all to um, rolled up together that I would I would love to. I I am so mad that we played in two Super Bowls doing Obama's turn and I, and we didn't win. <laughs> I, that's all I wanted to win. Just like Toby Obama and I I didn't and but I those will be my dinner guests. Okay. And my last question is, do you sing in the shower? No, I'm not. A, no? I'm, I'm not a singer in the shower. <laughs> All right. I will turn on the music, but no, I'm not a singer in the shower. Okay. So as we look to close the show, let people know, where are you at on social media? How can they follow you? You know what? I don't, my wife know all that stuff. It's PepJ52, uh, you know, the hash mark tag and all that stuff. I really don't know. <laughs> we'll we'll get all that info. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes so people can follow. Okay. You. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm that old guy. I'm that old guy. It, this is this is funny because my my players and some of my friends that listen to this they'll be like, "But that is so pep. You don't know anything." But I, I and then they get mad at me because everybody tell me I'm not following them, 
And I don't know how to go about following the people that I'm not following. So it's, it's fun to me, though. I, I follow my son and my grandkids. That's what I, that's who I follow. Well, those are the important people to follow. So <laughs> those are who matter. Pep, thanks so much for joining us today. It has been a true pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, Jen. My pleasure. Yes, yes. We definitely loved everything you had to say and look forward to seeing you again, hopefully sometime soon. Thank you to everyone for listening to today's show. Again, if you liked our episode, make sure that you share it with someone else and subscribe to the podcast too. And there's been a number of you who have reached out to me about how to network better so that you can advance your careers, create other opportunities. If that is something you're interested in, go to the show notes and sign up for my five-day virtual networking training camp. It is free, so you have no excuses to get out there and learn how to network better. All right. Thank you again for listening. And thanks to Pep for joining us. We will talk to you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business, with your brand, or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.